We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10 second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It is episode two of our Ted Lasso rewatch, and I am again joined by my co-host, Alex McDaniel. Alex, how are you doing a week into this Ted Lasso rewatch journey? This has been the most wonderful adventure of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Parenting? Nah, it's the Ted Lasso rewatch. Yeah, you know, my kid's cool and all, but uh, Coach Beard started following me on Twitter this week, so, I mean, he's going to win out. That is... I mean, that's as exciting as it can get, honestly, (laughs) the the Coach Beard Twitter follow. Um, Quick housekeeping, biggest of thank yous to everyone who is joining us on this Ted Lasso ride. That's old listeners. That's new listeners. Uh, You're all children we love equally as long as you've subscribed and reviewed. And speaking of reviews, I just want to touch on one thing. Every five-star review on Apple Podcasts is great. Warms my cold, dead heart. Anyone who leaves one is as good as Ted Lasso in my eyes. I got one recently, though, that requested that I cover Rookie of the Year in the Sandlot. I just I just want to remind everyone, especially people who might not have been here for a while, that uh, been doing this before I got into the Ted Lasso game, been doing this for two years, been doing sports movies every Monday, including Rookie of the Year in the Sandlot. Go back in the feed, evergreen episodes. You're going to like the way it listens. I guarantee it. But um, Alex, we are, let's, let's get into to Ted Lasso episode two real quick. Tell the folks uh, where they can follow you on social media and what you're up to before we dive into the episode. Sure. You can follow me on Twitter and Insta at Alex McDaniel. Um, I'm also on another podcast and they got mad at me for not promoting them last week, but (laughs) yeah, shout that out. (laughs) And it's called Ain't Slayed Nobody. And it's actually a tabletop RPG podcast. It's totally wild. I've never done anything like it before, but we're basically just a comedy troupe with dice. So check out Ain't Slayed Nobody on Twitter and listen to our stuff. Awesome. And 
actually, speaking of podcasts, Alex, I need to thank you for telling me about Brett Goldstein's podcast. Oh, do you love it? I love it. I, I actually, I went and listened to the episode where he had Brendan Hunt, where he had Coach Beard on. Yes. And it's wonderful. And also, so my only, I guess, interaction with Brett Goldstein had ever been as Roy Kent. And he is very, like, soft-spoken on the pod and, like, quiet and witty and just very, like, very much a very gentle man. It, I I don't know. I really enjoyed it. It was such a fun listen. Well, what's funny about that, and I was actually going to mention that in this episode anyway, um, Brett Goldstein wasn't even intended to be an actor on the show. He was hired as a writer. Um, and But as he wrote more and more this Roy character, he really felt like it should be him, but he was too nervous to ask about it. And so what he did was like film himself doing five scenes as Roy, and he sent it to Bill Lawrence, um, and and they, they hired him. And the weird, weird thing about this, and I'm just like Miss Trivia today, that character was actually born... Years and years ago, when Brendan Hunt um, was in a comedy troupe called Boom Chicago, and they did a lot of shows in Europe, and they used to do a sketch where they're about an American like trying to get used to Amsterdam soccer culture, and there was a character named Roy Keane who was basically Roy Kent, like he's just mean, aggressive, and the former guy who used to be the hotshot, and so. Yeah, there's a lot of backstory to Roy. We love Roy. There is. And that that podcast, you get such a good backstory of the guests, which in the the case of the episode I listened to is learning a lot about Brendan Hunt because the 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 podcast it just basically relates movies to life stories and experiences and you just learn a little like a lot about the person. It was it was super interesting hearing about Brendan Hunt's life. So, I am very excited to to dive into Brett Goldstein's podcast a little more. He's very cool. I love him. Yeah, so let's dive into Ted Lasso, episode two, Biscuits. It's Ted's first day coaching and fans aren't happy. He makes little headway, but remains undeterred as the team plays its first match. The only big trivia thing I have is this one, and you mentioned this last episode, was directed by Zach Braff. Bill Lawrence worked with Braff and Scrubs. Braff was in London, and we get a Zach Braff episode of Ted Lasso. Alex, I think you're a little more dialed into this stuff than I am. Were you able to see like the the Zach Braff touch on this one? No, I mean it's hard for me to to be able to judge things like that. I like Zach Braff, I do, but I I don't I wouldn't know if there was anything distinctly. <laughs> me either. Although- I would love to be I would love to be that in sync to to TV and film and stuff. But it is cool to know that he did this because I I also like Zach Braff. Yeah, yeah, he's always fun, and you know like Scrubs. I think you find a lot of people. There's a lot of crossover with people who like. Scrubs and any Bill Lawrence project, really, who also like this show. So it's not uncommon. So I want to get into our opening questions. Um, Just something, you know, a little icebreaker about the episode. I'll go first. This one is kind of just a very simple one, but it's it's a... It's something that I think we we encounter in life a lot. I'm looking forward to encountering it more now that I can have like fully vaxxed and I can actually go out into the wild. How long is too long to hold the door open for someone in public? (laughs) (sighs) that's a long time to wait ted well i respect you didn't hurry uh i love that scene i love how perfectly awkward it is and watching ted's eyes dart all over the place yet he doesn't seem bothered at all like he's fully prepared to stand there all day what i think the brilliance of it to me anyway 
is like, so he's holding the door open and you can hear nothing. You just see him standing there. And then all of a sudden you hear the click clack of Rebecca's heels and you realize <laughs> he's just been standing there the whole time. Um, and I just, you know, again, charming Ted, like that was completely expected. But that is such an awkward thing though. And I hate that. I hate when you're trying to be nice. And so you're trying to like get ahead of the door and you hold it for someone. And then, I don't know, maybe they drop their keys or maybe they're going much slower than you thought they were. And then you just kind of have to stand there like a bozo. Because <laughs> if you just walk in and close it, you look like a jerk. Yeah. I wrote a thing for a website a couple years ago, uh, something I call like the grocery store right of way, like who, you know, in an awkward situation, the grocery store where two people push their carts out at the same time. It's like, who gets to go? And there's a certain hierarchy. It's like parent with very small child and then senior citizen and then kind of like not quite senior citizen, but older. And it kind of just ranks down. And in, in like the last level is like teenagers, like fuck teenagers, never give them the right <laughs> way with anything. I think it's kind of the same thing with this, but it's like person with ch- small child or senior citizen. If they see you at the door, the thing is, if you get seen you have to do it. You you just got to wait it out. It doesn't like, it doesn't matter if they're walking with a walker. You just have to wait it out. You can't be the person who shut the door on the senior citizen. If it's a teenager, they could be three feet away and you just, you let it go. They're young. They can catch the door. Yeah. I also think too, you know, there are regional differences. So, um, you know, I lived in New York for a year and, it's very much, uh, it's not that people aren't nice. It's just very much a like do for yourself and only yourself kind of place. And so being born and raised in the South, you know, I was used to always making eye contact and smiling and opening doors and you just don't do that up there. And if you do, they look at you like you're a weirdo. So I, I kind of like that, honestly, <laughs> it takes away a lot of the pressure. I want to take that sentiment and actually roll into the, the other question I had. Okay. And this is something, it's something my wife brought up during the show when we were watching. And it's also something, so last night you were tweeting about, and this is last night, night of recording, which is about a week ago, if you're listening to this on Monday, you were tweeting about smug progressives trashing people from Mississippi. And yes. like where I live in Texas, we went through the same thing with shitty people talking about how we deserve to have the, the frozen storm situation because we elected shit for brains, Greg Abbott. There's a certain <laughs> group of like, northern elitist progressives that talks a gang of shit about everyone in red states just because they're in red states and is ted lasso the perfect like ted lasso the person see the ideal representation of the liberal south like is ted literally blue georgia ted is the perfect example of what smug progressives need to realize that a lot of the south is actually like you know what's interesting about that is when they were forming the character not for the commercials but forming the character for the show and they wanted to obviously give him more depth in the show they had the challenge of making him clueless about this thing about this one thing about about soccer but at the same time they didn't want to make him like clueless and ignorant they wanted to make him clueless and curious and so you notice like he's a very well-read man he's very intelligent it was extremely he would be easy to write him off as a simpleton if, you know, just based on like first meeting him in his kind of folksy way. And I think the writers of the show did a really great job of showing um, that blend of, you know, you don't have to reject all the things you love about your home if you are from a southern state or you are from, you know, a small hometown or, or a community that maybe isn't so cosmopolitan you can maintain those aspects of yourself and still be very intelligent and progressive and um 
I think that's part of why he works so well, why it works so well, because the another part of this too, in, in forming the character is they knew they had a challenge with the way Americans were stereotyped in England, um, the way they were portrayed kind of just as these like obese, stupid people with guns. Um, and that which was has merit. Has yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so another thing they tried to do with this show was to show um, that there is surely there is a heartland and there is a, a south and and areas of this country with different kinds of people, but not everybody is that stereotype. And I think um, they did a really great job with that. He's a wonderful representation of of the the lovely parts about America and the American South. Yeah, if we're gonna, I mean, are we considering Kansas South? That's a whole other podcast. So I feel like Ted is, is Ted a native Kansian? Is that, I, think so. I don't, I don't know how Kansas people identify themselves. I think so, isn't he? Maybe, I don't know, but he, he's definitely got <laughs> Southern charm, I will say. Sure. Like, you wouldn't say that, that Ted is, is from the North. He's oh, at least course. got that, that folksy Midwestern charm. Yeah, it's like the heartland kind of, yeah. You know, I would I would say that. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say southern, but I I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean and they they don't come <laughs> out and they don't they don't throw like Ted's political views on you, but you don't you know he's not being like, "Well, coach Beard, we got to stop the steal." So Yeah, uh, <laughs> and that's you know, especially in a year like last year, and I think we touched on this last week. One of the reasons this show did so well, it's a great show on its own, but it was a show that was needed at a very serious time um, because it, it wasn't polarizing. There was nothing polarizing about it. And it showed you could actually just be nice to people and consider it to people. And that's not a political opinion. It was literally the perfect 2020 show. Yeah. In every way. In every way. Do you have an opening question or do you want to roll into best scene? I have an opening question that okay, is very hit me relevant. With it. Would you rather be a lion or a panda? Oh, lion. Lion. I'm with I'm with Rebecca on that one. Solid entrance. What would you rather be, a lion or a panda? I don't have time for this. Okay. Ted. Gotta go panda. Are you mad? Pandas are fat and lazy and have piss-stained fur. Lions are powerful and majestic and rule the jungle. Try telling that to an elephant. Ooh, can I be an elephant? Mm-mm, lion or panda? Panda. Lion! What's black and white and red all over? I don't know what. A panda that gets anywhere near a fucking lion. The answer is lion. And for all the reasons, the, the she mentions like shit in the fur and stuff like that. I don't know. I like the idea of being a lion. I think I am much more a panda. I like to sleep. I like to eat. I like to just roll around. I consider like, you know, <laughs> you know, a pandas like lounge on bamboo. That's how I like to be on my couch on a weekend. So I am much more panda-y. And I think for that reason is why I would grab, like, if I had the choice, if someone came to me and said, you can be a panda or be a lion, I would say it would be a lion. I would be fierce and athletic and strong and respected. But if it was like someone came to me and was like, I'm going to tell you what you are, I would say, I already, I'm a panda. I get it. Like, so what would you rather be? Uh, a lion for all of the obvious reasons. They're fierce and they're feared. And, you know, I, I love being blonde. So. <laughs> All wins. It all, all wins. It all fits. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think lion is the move, but I am uh, I am definitely more of a panda. Let's roll into best scene uh, again. Going to do this chronologically. Please stop me if I miss one of your favorites because I am absolutely fine talking about every single scene of this episode. <laughs> uh, sure. Ted bringing Rebecca biscuits. 
this is huge. You know, this is huge. And like we talk about the biscuits and I use we as the collective Ted Lasso fan base. The biggest conversation about them, of course, has been, how do we get the recipe? And you've had a lot of people do copycats and things like this. It's all been very literal about the biscuits. And the metaphor of the biscuits are what's so important. So other than the fact that we know Ted's a nice guy, we know he's the type to go out of his way to do something. What we see recurring in this episode, starting with the biscuits, is that he finds a personal way to connect somebody, to connect to somebody rather, but also to connect them to something that they recognize, something that's comfortable to them. So you see it with Sam when Sam, they celebrate his birthday and he, I forget what it's called, but he pulls out the the bag and he's like, oh, I used to eat this back home in Nigeria. You look at the, the scene where Ted's opening the care package and there's the barbecue sauce and he takes a, you know, he puts some on his finger and he's like, do you ever have a food that takes you back home? And she looks at the biscuits. And so we see this theme emerge in the episode that he understands the power of place and home and his way of connecting to everybody, his way of making AFC Richmond a full team from top to bottom is to connect with people on that level to show that he understands, you know, where your, where your roots are, are, are very important. And so I think it's such a good setup for that entire message. It's not corny or a cliche to say that watching this show, you can learn a lot about how to best interact with people and connect with people from watching Ted Lasso. It's a legitimate lesson in, and human interaction and human relationships. And he's like the perfect communicator, honestly. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is also the episode where we get into Rebecca's story a little more because in episode one, if that's all you saw, you could easily say, okay, she's the obvious villain. Even though you kind of know she was done wrong, you don't really know the extent of it. So the episode two starts with her Googling her ex-husband's name and looking at all the gossip columns, what they're saying about him and who he's dating, obviously she's very haunted and very humiliated by this divorce, and she's been very hurt. And and you can tell she's standoffish about Ted, and what comes off as her just being bothered and not having time is anytime he tries to get personal, she doesn't trust it, and she pushes it away. And it's why she says, can you tell me where to find the biscuits, in my opinion. She's like, I don't want to depend on him for something that I actually really like. I can just do this myself. Um, and you see, like, it's his way of, of winning her over. But we also just find out more about her as a woman. We see visible changes in her face whenever her ex-husband is brought up throughout the episode or his new girlfriend or anything. It, they Hannah Waddingham is a brilliant actress anyway, but the way she subtly shows a shift when she goes from being put together and dealing with it and being the owner to suddenly being wounded by something. It is so subtle, but it's kind of like a widening of the eyes and a clenching of the jaw. And, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to generalize and say every woman's been there, but I just feel like every woman's been there where you're, you're, you feel like you're in front of the cameras, so to speak, metaphorically or literally, and somebody's thrown the most humiliating thing that's ever happened to you in your face, and you have to be strong because you can't cry. Um, and you just really feel that. And suddenly, even though Rebecca still does not have good intentions, we're starting to understand why. It also can't be tough to be Googling your ex-husband, and one of the suggestions is Rupert Mannion penis. <laughs> which is it was, it was actually Rupert Mannion penis girth. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I did my research. Also, <laughs> also uh, Ted being a mention an artist and start singing something by that artist guy was the easiest call ever. When he when he asked Alex, what was your first concert? What was my first concert? Yeah, because um, that's the question he asked Rebecca, and then Kenny goes into his was Kenny Rogers, the gambler, and then starts ripping <laughs> off No When to Hold Him. My first concert was Billy Ray Cyrus at Six Flags, oh, wow. over, te- <laughs> at Six Flags over Texas in 1992. Oh my gosh, so, shout out Arlington. I know, what up? So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, it was, it was fine, you know, it was 92, whatever. Yeah, mine was the uh, the Green Day American Idiot tour because oh, wow. I was angsty. Um, <laughs> the next scene I've got is uh, is the practice, and mainly because you get the uh, the boots in the boot line, which is yes. in the the intro of this podcast is wonderful. And you get um, it's when Ted starts taking that interest in Sam. He gives him the you know the be a goldfish thing. Also in the intro of this podcast, I believe. And then the uh, Nigeria him up line, which is just <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> I think I love that practice scene um, for a few reasons, because again, we get more exposition. I love this is very subtle and I missed it the first few rewatches, I think. But um, Ted calls for Nate and Nate just <laughs> looks at him and says, who me? And Ted says, until we get another Nate here, I need you to assume you're my default Nate. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, it's like very quick and very funny. But again, you see like these characters still trying to get used to him. And then you also see, you know, first episode, we see Roy Kent as an asshole, right? Like he's not a Jamie Tart asshole, but we can tell he's bitter. He's upset that his career is ending with what he thinks is a clown coaching him. Being coached by Ronald fucking McDonald. Yeah, but you see um, the scene where I don't know technically what happened, but Sam misses something. Jamie breaks turns, his blah, ankles. Blah, blah. Uh, yeah, and uh, Jamie makes fun of him and Roy immediately comes to his rescue and to Sam's rescue and like pushes Jamie away and so you know, there's our subtle sign that okay, maybe there's more to Roy here than just I'm mad about everything all the time. So we'll get some flowers cuz this spot here is where Sam died. <laughs> it's very sad. Oi, walk away, you little prick. All right, Grandad, keep your wig on. <laughs> Thanks, Roy. Yeah, you're good. Hey, Sam, come here a sec. Coach, I'm, I'm sorry. You know what the happiest animal on Earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. And this is also the instance where you realize in the in the first episode, it's like, oh, Jamie is kind of that just the the young, cocky douchebag. And this episode is like, oh, no, he's an all time bad teammate. Yeah, like clearly it's about him. And even (laughs) what I love is not to skip ahead, but at the end of the episode when they lose to Crystal Palace and you can hear the announcers in the background saying it was an abysmal game, except for Sam's defensive play. Jamie gets mad about that because he scored a goal. And then as Jamie's walking into Ted's office, you can you almost miss it. You can hear the announcer saying, like, except for that one consolation goal by Jamie Tart. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so you do see. And they talk about how much he celebrated the goal, too. Yeah, like it, he had just won the World Cup. And so they made it very clear kind of who he is and, and what motivates him. But you also saw 
these shockingly tender moments where Jamie was a little shocked that Ted could get to him. Um, you know, when he told him you're one of the best athletes I've ever coached. And I think if you, you know, essentially says if you could ever get into a team mindset, the sky's the limit. And you can tell he's genuinely touched by that. But again, kind of like Rebecca, kind of like a lot of people, it's jarring to them to be disarmed in that way. And so we see them like have a moment of breakthrough and then they immediately go back to who they are. And later in the season, I mean, not to step on it, but we learn a little bit more about how male figures in Jamie's life have interacted with him before. So that catches him off guard. Um, but yeah, I mean, that scene, the, the Ted and Jamie's post-game uh, kind of post-game meeting, I guess, in the locker room after is, is on mine. Um, also, uh, <laughs> the part in that scene of uh, Nate cracking the window and getting and then getting the good lad from Roy is fantastic. Oh, it's fucking embarrassing! Oh, I am equally livid. Oh my god. I know. It was in I like seeing Nate's progression too, and I don't want to speak generally because I know we're on this episode, but you know, what's funny is a lot of shows are not shot um in chronological order just for production reasons or anything else. This show was. They intentionally wrote every episode before they started filming, which is also uncommon. Um, And then they shot every episode in chronological order. So you're actually watching these actors come into their characters as you're watching their characters come into their own. And I think that's like one of the coolest things about the show. I think every sports movie, sports show etc if possible should be filmed like that because it it captures the authenticity of what a season is really like and what what team chemistry is really like and how that fluctuates and builds throughout a season um another scene i've got is the the locker room where ted has nate pass the box for sam's (laughs) birthday to raise the money the one that nate made with his niece and ted just gets super pumped about the face on the box which is just such a pure moment i know i love the little boxes um and I think the first box was the suggestion box. And what was the line he said? Something about, I think Nate said, uh, my niece made this. He's like, that's great. And I love a glimpse into your personal life. <laughs> I love glimpses into your personal life. It just, <laughs> it's just really so, funny. The thing with the boxes is uh, Ted, Ted and Nate's interactions with the boxes are just so pure. It's a, that's a very pure relationship, Ted and Nate. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. It's really good. And then the last scene I've got is when Ted walks home, he's still got his head held high and he plays soccer with the girl from earlier. And then you find out that Ted has been baking the biscuits, which is like he kind of you you probably could have guessed, but it's just it's a nice it's a wonderful touch. Um, did I miss any of your favorite scenes in this one? I You know, <sighs> This one is more kind of little moments. It, this this episode is more chopped up into a bunch of smaller set pieces. Yeah, I like. There are a lot of little things I like about it. I love his technically his second press conference because suddenly, um, and you, people may not have noticed. You know that first press conference was a disaster. Second one, he goes in, he knows everyone's names. He's like, "Yeah, Marcus, what do you got?" Uh, of course, Trent Krim takes a shot at him and asks him to explain the, you know, can you explain the offsides rule? And Ted says the line about, um, 
Well, to quote the Supreme Court from 1964, <laughs> it's a lot like pornography. You know it when you see it. <laughs> and so, you know, it, but you see he's slowly like developing a rapport with them to the point that he's not exactly being mocked. But that's also a scene, going back to what I was saying about Rebecca, you know, that gossip columnist gets in there and they, you can instantly tell he's not a, a beat writer or a sports writer because you see the room groaning when he stands up um, and he works for the sun or something. And, uh, he brings up the fact, you know, have you seen Rupert's new girl? And Rebecca has this wonderful line where she's like, well, we're not together anymore. So he's free to date whatever model slash actress or actress slash model he pleases. And then the guy digs in and says, oh, no, this is the one he was seeing when you were married. And the camera shifts the focus, the same shot, shifts the focus from the reporter talking to the back of her neck. And again, it, the subtlety that they have with her character she does not move she does not flinch she has to hold it together she can't react to that um and she just kind of pauses for a second ted looks at her and she said well who knew that men could multitask so well watching rebecca have to hold it together throughout the season for me personally is just one of the triumphs of the show because you know any and i mean any woman it's not just about relationships it's about being in the office. You know, there's a stigma around like not crying in front of your employees or in front of your boss. There's a stigma around if, if you are the boss and you're the woman that the rules are different for you. Um, and I think in Rebecca's case, you know, we really start to see that there. And I also think just another nice addition to the episode, not necessarily a scene, is we get to know Keely a little better. We see we that do. she's... We do. We, we see she's, you know, bright. She's not just some athletes model girlfriend we see she's bright she's funny she's friendly she doesn't seem to have ulterior motives um and they're really setting her up for becoming a great character later in the show you know a hundred percent by this episode they're like oh she's not gonna be with jamie by the end of the show because this this show this episode it serves like you said it serves to give us a little more background into the just the the mental struggle that Rebecca is going through and so much so that by the end of it when she tells Higgins that she wants to run those pictures of Ted and Keeley you don't feel you, you don't feel like all this anger towards her you you kind of understand you you really you really feel what she's going through um it serves to give the episode serves to give Keeley a little bit of background and you feel good about her and it also serves to uh, to make Jamie really kind of a main foil for the for the rest of the season in terms of not an unredeemable one but just like this this guy this guy fucking sucks like Jamie is one of the worst teammates in sports yeah yeah he's just yeah he's generally terrible <laughs> he's, you know I think um what's interesting too about you know Keely's setup so we have this she gets this idea let's get pictures of Keely and Ted together she's not thinking about them as people. That's why she detaches herself. She doesn't want to do morning meetings with Ted because she doesn't want to like him. If she likes him, then the goal is not met. And the goal is to destroy the club, right? So we see her in the last scene sitting alone at her kitchen island with an iPad and a glass of wine. And it's dark. And it's very much a scene set up where you know she's still getting used to living alone. And Higgins calls her and says... Uh, I just sent you the pictures and she's looking at him. Her face is not 
like Cruella DeVille, like, yes, this is my plan all along. Her face is kind of just still. And she said, yeah, this is what I wanted. And Higgins says something like, are you sure you want to do this? And then she looks up at the TV and sees Rupert's girlfriend. And again, this is a woman who's not only been cheated on and hurt, she it happened in front of an entire country. She's humiliated on a daily basis because of what her ex did to her, because of what somebody she loved did to her. And so any reminder of that triggers her into just doing what she has to do to survive. And you see when she looks up at the TV and sees that, her face suddenly she gets very stern and you can tell she snapped out of any sort of sympathy she might have had for Ted and Keeley before. And she was just like, do it. And, you know, I think we see that throughout the next few episodes, like the only thing driving her is she is going to humiliate him as much as him being her ex-husband, as much as he humiliated her. And that's all she can think about. Mm -hmm. Is there a scene in this one that can compete with the, the initial biscuit scene for best scene? Uh, gosh, I don't know. Cause I'm thinking, and I know we've talked about so much. I love, you know, the Sam's birthday party one. Sam was having such a rough time and, He's so genuinely touched when they give him that stuff. And then, of course, he's the best player. Even though they lost to Crystal Palace, he ends up playing wonderfully. I think um, also I like when, you know, Roy goes to take the shower and he realizes that they've fixed the shower head and there's water pressure in there now. And it's these little things that Ted is doing to try to connect with them for one thing, but also to just do it out of kindness because he's the type of coach who knows it's going to have to be the stuff that he doesn't know on the field. He's going to have to make up for it off the field. If he's going to have a chance at getting this team to come together. Um, and I think that's what, that's what really plays out. And yeah, I think, Oh, Fun fact about the biscuits, actually. So Yes, hit me with a fun fact about the biscuits. <laughs> I love talking about the biscuits. So the biscuits that she ate on the show, and of course they had to do multiple takes um, every time she ate them, they were actually disgusting. And the reason why is because they had to make them with no sugar or very little sugar because if she were just eating cookies all day, she would start to gain weight. And that's her words, not like some producer or something like that she told that story um to some sort she's like i would have i think her words were i would have just started expanding um and so because she had to eat something it was just gross dry like sugarless um almost like toast so i thought that was interesting she had to pretend to love it free idea for the creators of ted lasso i would pay a significant amount of money for a one-off episode that is just ted on celebrity great british baking show the the one offs of the one offs they do with celebrities that you cannot watch in the USA, which which stinks because I deeply love the Great British Baking Show. Um, <laughs> my favorite scene as a whole is the biscuit scene, um, but you're right that the, this one is all. It's like the those small moments, the you know Roy finding out that the gaffer has fixed the water pressure, that stuff. Like it's great. Sam's birthday party, uh, a tribe called Quest drop, drop in the in the birthday party, like eating cake. Love yes. that. Uh, it's just, I mean, altogether, you know, a, a great set of set of scenes. I could talk about every single one. Let's take a quick ad break and then get back with our favorite one-liner. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so funniest one-liner or kind of under-the-radar joke. Uh, this is what makes this show really special. Um, before you give me your favorite, does anything in this episode top the Liam and Noel Gallagher joke? <laughs> I still, I just, I love that so much. Um, I, I would say my favorite one-liner from this episode is actually right at the beginning when they're walking to work. Um, it's the first day and they stop and that's when he first sees the girl playing soccer and, um, you know, the boys who are playing with her are like, you're not going to get past me. You're a girl. I say something stupid like that. And of course she like kicks it past him and Ted says, well, sometimes the best way to stick it to the man is to go right between the legs. <laughs> I, I just like, it's so, it's so smart. And mine are like, I like very silly humor. So even though there's so much smart writing in the show, I'm, I'm also such a sucker for like the little things that are just like funny to be funny. And so, you know, in the beginning when he's going to eat the shredded wheat and it's the one biscuit and he walks out and Coach Beard says, do you want some breakfast? And he's like, no, nah, I had a piece of cereal and I'm stuffed. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so stupid, but it's... um. Yeah, it's just really. I funny. love the the thing he's the thing Coach Beard says at the practice when he's like, "Remember what she said our first day at coaching at Wichita State?" And he's like, "Lose the ponytail." Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's there are a lot of like little lines like that that I think are great. Oh, I also love. We do see this. You know, since we've talked about like this show kind of being the one where Ted starts to win them over, um, we see the scene where. Ted is trying to explain to Rebecca, like, the way that we're all going to bond as a team is if we get to know each other, I'm going to have lunch with Higgins today. And she looks at him, and Higgins like, yeah, we're going to have salads. And so Ted leaves. He starts to leave. And Higgins goes, I'll Caesar you later. And Ted, like, busts through the door. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous, but it's so That is good. my favorite. It's my favorite single moment of the episode is Ted bursting through the door and just pointing at Higgins. Everybody in this building, part of the team, part of AFC Richmond. Team's got a bond, all right? I mean, heck, Higgins and I are having lunch today. Oh, yes, we're having salads in my office. All right, catch you later, boss. Higgins, see you at lunch, huh? Caesar, you later. Ooh, oh. Yes. Yes. <sighs> He's intolerable. I know, it's incredible. I, you know, I try not to gush too much on this show because I really do love breaking down the writing and the structure and and how they break story throughout but it's just it's padded so well and so smartly um in the writing you know so 
One I love is when they're having the panda or lion conversation and Jamie walks out. And I think it's Keely who asks him rather be a, a panda or a lion. And he says the thing about I'm me. Why would I want to be, you know, why would I want to be anything else? And Ted hits him with the, I'm not sure you realize how psychologically healthy that actually is. <laughs> it's so wonderful. And I also, I'd like, I thought a cute little throwback is when they're going through the suggestion box at the pub. And most of them are anonymous and they get to one that says, I hope you choke on a Big Mac. And Coach Beard's like, good thing that you're anonymous. And Ted says, no, that one's from Roy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like the Ronald McDonald Big Mac thing. I I just think, again, it's smart. It's intentional and it's very good. Yeah. I mean, we could go for we could go for an hour on just almost I mean, almost every single line in the show is so the thing that's interesting is that there are all those funny those funny one-liners like that, but it doesn't feel like it's it's too full. It doesn't feel like they're just throwing a million darts at a dartboard and just hoping that some hit, you know? It's still like everything flows so well and it's so sharp that it, it doesn't feel like they're overloading you with jokes or anything like that. It's just like every single quick one-liner is just really, really good. An interesting thing about the writing process for this show is how much Sudeikis had to do with it in terms of, I think it's clear to everybody, you know, Jason Sudeikis is good at a lot of things. Um, But because there are multiple writers, it's really easy to imagine this traditional idea of like a writer's room where people are throwing out punchlines. And it's not to say that that didn't happen in some regard on this show. But um, Bill Lawrence has talked before about how Sudeikis has been almost an editor-in-chief role, writing, overlooking every line, making cuts, deciding what stays, deciding what goes. He has the final call on everything in these scripts. Um, And I think that speaks so much to what a storyteller he is, because, you know, in comedy, like, there are different ways to be funny. You can have just great performers, which Sudeikis is. Um, You can have people who can come up with a great big picture screenplays. You know, Judd Apatow, I think, is brilliant at that. Um, But the fact that Jason had so much to do with line by line how this story played out, I think it, it speaks to what kind of career he's going to have. And I think it, you know, further justifies the attention that the show is getting because it's not just funny to be funny. The jokes are put in there intentionally and they're put in there in a smart way. And he's just enormously talented. Oh, I mean, Ted Lasso is kind of like the tip of what will happen for Jason Sudeikis in the next 15 to 20 years, honestly. Like it's just a, it's kind of like a a jumping off point of a, a new level of creativity, like getting beyond... SNL and the the bigger budget comedies. I feel weird even saying big budget comedy now because that's not really a thing anymore. But at least like headline comedies at a at a um, at a movie theater. But yeah, I mean he's the sky is really the limit for him, which is kind of like a corny thing to say. But he's he's just fantastic. Um, I want to get to the the sports action because we actually get a game reference in this one. We don't see any of the action. I I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. It, this one is just like game starting and then boom, they lose four to one. Um, yeah. The the <laughs> one 
you know, so we we don't see a lot of soccer besides the the start of that game or them walking out onto the pitch and then the little scene from practice. But the the sports centric plot point I really like is Sam's mental health and comfort level being a subplot. It's very effective sports scene. It's highly realistic and it shows how effective Ted can be because like kind of like you said, Ted's way of fixing this team is is changing the culture and connecting with his players and and being a motivator in that regard. Like if they would have brought it to the table of like Ted's going to come up with a bunch of zany X's and O's plays the entire, you know, the entire season, it just wouldn't have come off in the same authentic way. But like the, the mental health of a 20 year old kid who is, you know, away from home for the first time in a, in a foreign country is very realistic. And like, you know, not to, you know, I, I wrote a piece in the April issue of baseball America about the mental health in baseball and like how tough the minor leagues are. And it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's a very foreign environment and, and mental, your mental health often can extend out on the field. A lot of times when something's going wrong on the field, it's because something is going wrong in your, in your personal life and those things are linked. So I, I really, really like that they went with that plot point for Sam and when is, this is something that Ted can address and Ted can be a positive force in. Yeah. And I think that also speaks to what I said earlier about this theme in the show of Ted trying his hardest to connect people with their homes or with some element of home, something that makes them feel comfortable and grounded and home and family are big themes throughout the entire show. But, you know, just like getting the care package from his son and all the little army men that he starts like giving out to people, um, to of course the biscuits which obviously she loves and who knows it could remind her of just comfort it could just be something that gives her respite from feeling miserable all the time he he fully understands that idea that you're not going to perform well here if something's going wrong outside of here and he's doing what he can to connect with people on that level and to help them be happier to help them, you know, have the water pressure they need or to be recognized on their birthday or to have their favorite food from back home because those little things absolutely make a difference. And that's, that plays into that. And that's why I love the way they did the announcers about how, oh, it was a terrible game, but the one shining light was Sam's defensive play. And that's important. You know, it's like, that was the goal. That was Ted's goal was let's get him comfortable and he succeeded he knows he succeeded and of course you have jamie who's mad that he wasn't you know given a parade for the consolation goal but um it's very clearly painted out that his goal was met even though they didn't win and ted also understands and accepts that sam might not have the same fondness for the american military that he does which is another funny one-liner yeah i d- I do, I do love the, oh yeah imperialism <laughs> like, yeah okay <laughs> so yeah I think um that that entire idea of the, just the connection to home and family and the idea of getting to know people on a personal level in any situation not just on a team but also people you work with you know any professional setting I think it's especially over the past year, like a lot of people have needed to be vulnerable and they haven't necessarily had the outlet for that. And I think this show reminded everybody of how it's scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to say you need anything or you need someone or that someone being a comfort to you is actually helpful, but it's the greatest payoff when you do. Um, and the way that, you know, the show ex- explores that vulnerability 
is they should show Ted Lasso in in like parenting classes and in anything that involves fostering relationships and the importance of communication like it should be it should be a required text like they should watch there's there's a certain college class they should watch this in well, you know, um, I don't know how familiar you are with Brene Brown, um, but she's... Who is also on Brett Goldstein's podcast. Yes, she is. She's a big fan of Ted Lasso because she's a, a researcher and storyteller who's dedicated her life to studying fear and shame, like researching fear and shame and how that separates us from people. The fear of being disconnected from people because of the shame you have for something you've done or something you think you are. Um, and so this show, honestly, could, she could have been, um, an advisor on it in terms of how she views vulnerability and the ability to connect with people and how to learn how to break down your own walls in order to form real lasting connections. Brené Brown, open invitation to come on big screen sports and talk about Ted Lasso with us. Since I know Uh, I'm sure you're listening right now. I would die. Oh my goodness. I would pass out. I'm sure she's a listener, so we'll we'll talk to her next week. Um, let's let's go into <laughs> what worked. If there's anything about this episode that worked that we haven't touched on yet, I want to shout out uh, Coach Beard's repeated scouting report: speed on the outside. Speed on the uh, outside, <laughs> so good. If sports um, were going on when this show had dropped, I feel like that would have become a thing. That like team that you know like because sp- I mean I guess football American football got going a little while after this but speed on the out the the repeated speed on the outside should become a meme. I I mean I might start using it next season. Who knows? <laughs> Anything can happen. Alabama uh, wide receivers speed on the outside. Speed on the outside. <laughs> oh my gosh! Did you have anything else that work that we haven't touched on? I'm trying to think. Because I think we have truly covered every scene in this, which is kind of amazing. We did it like we a really lot of have. Order. I mean, that's the <laughs> nice, that's the nice thing about having a twenty-five minute TV show is we really can touch on everything we want. It's not like a sports movie where we've got two hours to cover, and you know, there's a million things you want to get to. Almost every time when I cover a movie, I finish the episode, and my first thought is like, "Fuck, I forgot to talk about this, this, and this." Yeah, I will say. Um, I'm reminded of the fact that last summer when I was trying to get people to watch the show, I was, I was telling them just make it, just promise me you'll watch the first two episodes. So what I was saying was don't give up after the first, if you're not feeling it, because I, once I got to episode three, I was like, this is it. Like this, we are hooked in and I will watch this until the end of time. And so that's what I would tell everyone. Watch the first two get the lay of the land because see the episode three is when we really start digging into some stuff. And so, um, I think, yeah, I think it's a perfect setup for the rest of this ride. I would be really interested to talk to someone who watched the first two episodes of Ted Lasso and decided like, yeah, this isn't for me. If that, if a person like that exists, I'd be really curious to hear like, uh, why? I don't want to talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) It just, it'd be, it'd be more of just like a public experiment. Um, I know. <laughs> so is there anything in this one that didn't work? Anything nitpicky? Because I'll say again, I don't. same thing as last. I didn't get nitpicky. I didn't really have anything that, that I didn't love about this one. The only thing that stood out to me, and I'm not even saying it's a bad thing, it just seemed a little odd, is the little scene where Rebecca is starting to realize that everybody seems to love Ted and she's watching like the dance in the locker room video and noticing this. 
it seems a little unrealistic to me that she wouldn't have already known that. I mean, the only reason that he got on her radar was because he was so you know, beloved in America. That's the only reason she, she didn't just randomly pick a coach on a map, you know? And so I thought it was a little funny where she was like, I can't believe they like him. You know, I can't believe that he's endearing himself to these people. And That's so- a good point. She probably could have picked a worse, like a, she could have picked a football coach who was a winner, but an asshole, you yeah. know, like she, she could have picked a worse option than Ted Lasso. Yeah, and so, you know, and again, that's really, that's not a real criticism. I'm just trying to be as fair as possible. It, but it just, it just stands out to me is all. It's almost like, are you really shocked? Like, you can see, you can tell when you meet him. Like, even if people think he's a, a bit of a chump, like, he's endearing and he's disarming and he has people's best interests at heart. And even if you don't like that, it's easy to see why others would. Well, let's roll that into the the most perfect Ted moment of the episode. We've talked about most of them, you know, the bringing Rebecca Biscuits, taking interest in, in what has Sam down, uh, waiting a long time to let Rebecca through the door, uh, playing soccer with that young female student. What is, what is the most, the the precious gem of a human Ted moment in this one? I, I'm going to go with the repeated interactions with the little girl. I, I just really love how they kind of serve as the bookends of the show and a reminder that, you know, again, he's trying to assimilate into his new home. He's trying to get to know the community, especially when he's playing with her after they just lost that game and everybody would expect him to be upset and frustrated and going home. I mean, I think it, you know, it says a lot about, who he is as a person and a dad and um, somebody who I think just genuinely wants to make other people happy. And so I thought that was really endearing. But another, (laughs) again, this is my stupid sense of humor. I I think the thing that sticks out to me most is it's this line that most people probably miss. It's when he goes to visit Keely at her photo shoot and she's obviously the lion, so she doesn't have to be the panda. And she looks at him and she goes, I'm famished. And he goes, most lions are. <laughs> <laughs> again, dumbest thing adds nothing really to the to the plot point. But um, again, just a great example of brilliant writing. He's so good. Ted is, yeah. Ted is so good. Best British culture versus American culture joke. You mentioned this earlier. So the piece of cereal. Did you know that this was the thing, the big piece of cereal? I I even tried to like Google, like my Google search history looks dumb right now because it's like (laughs) it's Ted Lasso, big cereal, British people, big cereal. Like it's a bunch of weird searches about cereal. Yeah, so I remember, and I hope this isn't um, me misremembering my childhood, but I seem to remember there was like a version of shredded wheat where they they came in those bigger biscuits. Like, of course, we had the small ones, but I feel like there was a version that came with the bigger ones, and the whole thing was you had you put the milk on it, and then you use the spoon to, like, mush it up and eat it like that. So it's like a big biscuit. Um, and so I didn't know in particular that that was a British culture thing, but um, I just have a memory of doing that, but I, I wonder if I really do or if I've just made that up. <laughs> yeah, I, I have never seen it. I don't have that. I don't have that particular memory. I thought that was a British thing, but yeah, it was doing a lot of, a lot of researching. I saw something that 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 style of cereal might have come from Australia. I'm not really sure. The only other like British versus American culture joke I had was the boot putting the boots in the boot. It was brilliant. 
<laughs> it's just so good. I um yeah, I think everything everything that they do to show the differences in British and American culture and they don't do it in a campy way um is just wonderful. There's a show I love called You're the Worst. I don't know if you've ever watched it. It's familiar with on, it, haven't seen it. It's on FX and the main character is a guy um who's originally from England and he lives in LA and there's this ongoing joke that he likes to send his friend to the the specialty international food store to get him his favorite British candies but it's just a bunch of made up words so it's like rum Christopher's and like it's just really stupid um and I again I enjoy how this show kind of brings the ideas of these two cultures together um in a way that isn't making fun of one or the other it's it's really beautiful it makes me excited for what season two is going to bring because i i think there's there's more opportunity to get ted ingrained in in british culture and british lifestyles just so many other there's so many places we could go with ted as far as as far as british culture so i'm i'm very excited for how they flesh out that aspect a little more um the lenny harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character we have already talked a lot about the the strong back to back really strong performances for Hannah Waddingham as Rebecca um her at the press conference her in the biscuit scene um i've got a couple you know a couple other nominees Phil Dunster is Jamie he is just such a fuckboy in this episode just <laughs> the worst teammate Jeremy Swift is Higgins Caesar you later might might clinch it honestly and then Juno Temple is Keely it's a really like you said a really good episode for her the conversation with Ted about Rebecca when she's the the frighteningly tall woman or something like that. Like, that's a yeah. really good line. Can anyone compete with Rebecca as far as best supporting character? I It's so hard for me to even see her as the best supporting character or as a supporting character at all, rather, um, even though obviously she is. I just feel like she's one of the tent poles, you know, kind of holding up the show. She's so integral to it. I, I do think in this one, though, Juno Temple, Juno Temple just shines. Like, I, Keely's such a great character. They make her, they show that she's aloof, but funny and endearing and very easy to like. And you can tell, like, I I like the way that that was kind of her big introduction in terms of the kind of person she is, um, because it sets up, you know, the rest of the season. I think she's just a doll. Can't argue with that pick. She is, uh, she's delightful. Just like almost everyone not named Jamie is delightful, to be frank. Fucking Jamie, man. Fucking Jamie. I mean, and he, <laughs> the the insistence on rocking the icon hat too. Like you think Jamie is young enough and makes enough money that he should have, like, I don't know, a hundred hats. But the he is so firmly attached to the icon hat. It's a very it's a very kind of slight look at his psyche. And that like, nope, the icon hat is what I'm wearing. Not because it's a fashion statement. Because I think I'm an icon. Yeah. I mean, that's just his whole thing. And that's why they they keep him pretty one-dimensional for most of the show, with the exception of these little glimpses that you get until you get later into the episodes and you see um, a little more to him. Okay, so the big emotional chill. Uh, the big, I guess, the you know, in a sports movie, we have the big chill moment. And Ted Lasso, it's just, it's just moments that make you feel a lot of emotion. 
I, I really have one in this one. It's uh, it's Sam's birthday present, bringing some home to him. When he says the thing about, you know, I used to eat this all the time as a kid growing up, and it's just a very endearing Ted moment. It's precious to see, you know, how much it means to Sam. That I think for me, that's that's really the big emotional moment. Although I would hear arguments for for him playing soccer with the uh, with the student. Yeah, I mean, there are a few of them, and I think I've covered all of them, so I don't want to just repeat myself, but. Um, I do, I do love him playing soccer with a student. Of course, I've already talked about Rebecca to death, you know, when we're really getting into these moments of humiliation where she's got to hold it together. Um, I just think this is such a heartfelt episode in general. And it really, again, it's why I tell people watch the first two episodes, setting up the foundation for what the rest of this is going to be. Like, it's more than a show about a nice guy. It's it's really exploring the idea of connecting strangers and putting them in situations where they have to be vulnerable with each other. And, you know, Ted is very willing to be vulnerable. And is that going to rub off on other people? Um, it's kind of the whole premise, really, of the show. You're right that this is a, a setup for for the show really taking off. Like you you watch the first two episodes, and then there was a there was a great clip from when Patrick Mahomes was still in college, and they had uh, Texas Tech came in, beat Texas at home, and Cliff Kingsbury came up to him after the game and was like, "Now we go, now we go." And like narrator's voice, no, they didn't. They were still very bad. But this is like <laughs> this is that moment where Cliff Kingsbury comes up at the end of the show is like, "Now we go," because now the show it. it it's set up everything it needs to set up, and now it can really take off and flesh out a, a lot of great plot points. Yeah, we've set up everybody's motivation pretty much. Um, you know, we get a little deeper into Higgins, I suppose, as it goes on. But oh, can't um, wait! Love the <laughs> I love looks into Higgins' personal life. Yeah, but I think yeah, it took those two episodes to kind of really set up what the show is about, and it's silly. You know, I got a text this morning that just infuriated me from a very good friend of mine. I won't name her name because I don't want to embarrass her. But she said, what is Ted Lasso? And I'm like, is this a sick joke? <laughs> she said, no, I really don't know. And so she Googles it, and then she copies and pastes the synopsis. And it's like, an American college football coach uh, travels to England to coach soccer, which he knows nothing about. And I'm like, that's not even the show. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's the show, but it's not. it's not the show. And you just have to watch it to see. You have to commit less than an hour of your time to get sucked into this show. Yeah. So I, it's a no-brainer for anyone. Uh, last thing is this: uh, rate this episode zero to five biscuits. Um, five biscuits, of course. It's five biscuits, with, obviously. The episode is called biscuits, so I think by default it has to get five. I'm giving it five biscuits as well. This was a great <laughs> episode, Alex. I'm thrilled that we that we are through episode two. I am looking forward to this season really taking off. Uh, thanks again for joining. Tell the folks again where they can follow you and check out your other podcasts that you need to promote. Yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter and Instagram at Alex McDaniel. And on my other podcast, uh, Ain't Slayed Nobody, which you can find everywhere. It's um, it's a really weird podcast, so I it's hard to describe, but they'll get mad at me if I don't promote it. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Big Screen Sports Ted Lasso Rewatch, remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you're enjoying the show, 
show, rate on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, let us know what you think. Uh, episodes of the Ted Lasso Rewatch are going to drop every Monday. And a reminder, the show has been going for two years, plenty of sports movies in the tank, all evergreen episodes. Go back, see if we've covered one of your favorite or least favorite sports movies. The least favorites always make for good episodes. Also, if you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm that's presented by Baseball America and comes at you every other Tuesday. And uh, with that, we'll check. We'll catch you next week for episode three of Ted Lasso. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.